This podcast is brought to you by the website of doom.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Aaron Fever Talks 2. My name is Aaron Fever, and this time I'm talking to PJ Holden, comic book artist extraordinaire. PJ's homegrown talent. Yes, this is one of those examples where a, re- a person from the Republic of Ireland will claim someone from the North of Ireland because he's doing good stuff. <laughs> You'll see that happen a lot in throughout Irish history, where if they're Northern Irish and they're good, we'll say they're ours. Uh, if they're from Northern Ireland, they're bad, we'll pretend they're British. Uh, it's a weird, complicated history that we don't talk about too much. Uh, we mostly talk about PJ's uh, life and getting into comic book artwork and also how uh, he's had some uh, very unusual uh, history with apps and Apple and it's a great story uh, I'll, I'll let you uh, discover it throughout the course of the podcast and this podcast exists because of patreon.com not be- that patreon actually sponsors me or anything like that no but I have an account on patreon you can go to it you can see it it's called patreon.com forward slash Aaron fever uh, if you go there and you donate as little as one dollar a month that's all you have to donate and you can stop that donation at any time but you can donate for one dollar a month and get exclusive stuff from me uh like you get th- this podcast earlier than everybody else you can get other podcasts that i do earlier than everybody else like fever talk uh with my darling wife um you can also uh find uh videos you can find uh kind of exclusive information about the comic books that i'm making and things like that um you can also just find some posts that are uh inexplicably oversharing who knows you can find anything there it's amazing uh and go there and you can leave anytime you want but it's it's good for your soul i'm I'm pretending like it's the end of scrooged with bill murray just talking to the camera you can put a little love in your heart as well uh, that's it. That's the only ad you'll hear on this podcast. And that's the reason why you don't hear any ads in this podcast is because of Patreon. So do that. Go there. Anyway, that's enough talking about that because there's plenty of talking ahead with this wonderful chat with PJ. Uh, he's a really fun guy. And uh, as you can see, he he can he can talk the dickens out of you. So please sit back, relax and listen to Aaron Fever talking to PJ Holden. Fair, fair enough. Uh, what I'll do because it's actually it's giving me it presenting me an option here on my side to to not look at the video. So I'm gonna pre- I'm gonna I'm gonna press that. You I'm can gonna... look at it. I don't mind. I have no problems. I'm not naked. <laughs> I mean, if that makes any difference to you, I'm already on. You see, I'm all, I'm podcast on right now. Well, yeah, because you said you were. Did you record your one today already? No, Ron's coming around at some point, but I don't know when he's coming around. He said he'd be around before uh, two, but he hasn't managed to get his arse over so uh we 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 have missed this week we normally record on a sunday and we missed this week and um because this is the one we record for two we two, do two shows in one day so because we haven't recorded anything we're, but we've got like 30 shows archived from when we were the sunnyside comics podcast okay. so we decided to pick one that we would you know would just and it would top and tail it would just chat about it and so a, a nice in and a nice out but of course i listened to it and that was a mistake <laughs> don't, don't listen to a podcast you did eight years ago because you're just going to find yourself going oh you, oh, you shouldn't say that oh god oh no don't say that oh god oh yeah. i can't believe you said that uh, oh that's a terrible thing to say that's 
that probably seemed funny in the moment, but really in hindsight, it's <laughs> awful. It's yeah. a, you're an awful human being. I've been, I've been podcasting <laughs> since 2007, and so I have that same problem, but I, I'm a little bit younger than you. I, I'm 34 now. So I'm I, all right, Aaron. Uh, no, no, just but just <laughs> to put it in, all right. <laughs> but just to put it in perspective, like I'm listening to twenty-four-year-old me talk bollocks. Oh yeah, which is <laughs> yeah. even worse. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's really. I mean, it's never really a matter of age because the stuff I was saying on this podcast, I said uh, I was forty. So because I was specifically talking about my 40th birthday party, my 40th birthday and how terrible it was. And I was just I was listening back to it and thinking and some of the stuff I was saying was quite sort of I wouldn't say politically incorrect, but very deeply politically incorrect. Not politically, (laughs) but, but like I was making reference to things that in the moment, three blokes sitting around. Very funny, haha! Ha, I said that, and you don't think about these things because you're just saying them out loud. Yeah. Because you're thinking you're always hunting for the funniest thing to say. I think I think you know that you do stand up, don't you? Uh, I, I do. Right? I do improv comedy. Yeah, so it's very similar. Yeah, you do improv. So I, I mean, I've never done improv and I've ever, never done stand up, but I recognise the need to f- say the funniest thing you can think of is not necessarily the the most correct thing to say. Like it's sometimes funnier to say something outra- outrageous than it is to say something that is no, you know, that is mildly funny, but also not, you know, as nice, you know, it, it just, I, I'm constantly, when I'm, when I'm on, when I'm talking to people and I know I'm, I've got to be funny or I, I feel like I'm, I have to be on, uh, I, I'm basically hunting for what's the most outrageous thing I can say here <laughs> to prevent anyone, you know, to, to make someone go, <gasps> you know, like that, because that's the reaction you want, <gasps> and then laughter. Yeah, <laughs> you know? uh, that's I it think was... it's the same. Well, especially when I started out doing uh, improv, I was doing very kind of whose line is it anyway sort of uh, games yeah. and stuff like that. And that's very much... I'd love to do stuff like that. It's, I mean, it, there's, it's, there's plenty of classes around. I know there's, yeah, a, there's yeah. a healthy improv scene in, in the Maybe north. Maybe my next thing next year. Um, do you want to start the podcast? I don't know how you want to start it. Oh, if you wanna... I, this has already been started. Oh, this is where it started? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> okay, okay. What, what, what hello. I, hello. <laughs> what we do, what, hello, I nor- listeners. what I normally do is I, I kind of record the intro like separately because oh, right, okay. it allows well, me yeah, to cut that's, out... That's, it, that's, it allows me to cut out all the uhs and uhs that I uh, yeah, do. There's not <laughs> many. There's not many ums and ahs from me. There's, if anything, there's barely any breathing. It's just, it's just constant turning of words out of my mouth that make no sense. But anyway, <laughs> well, hello, I, listeners. I, I find <laughs> when talking to uh, to co- comic artists, uh, they spend so much of their time at home, locked in a room. Um, you know, drawing that uh, they usually have two reactions to a podcast. It's either "Oh my god, it's people go away," or yeah. "Oh my god, it's people, let's talk." I have so many. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm very much, I'm very much the latter camp. Holy shit, I've been let off my leash. <laughs> I can talk to people. This is great. That's why I don't like doing it because we were to- we were talking about um, doing this last night, and uh, when it is on a late at, at night with the kids and, and my wife in the room, and uh, oddly my mother-in-law was staying as well last night. It's just I feel like I'm completely compelled to be very quiet and like like talking like i'm in church or something and very you know respectful and this is and and when they're not out it's like ah, i can go nuts ah. so anyway so you've got me full on not to good good <laughs> and i have one in the day that's pretty that's good going <laughs> yeah yo, no this is this is me 
I, I mean, the, the thing is, the well, the, like, it's, I think they talk about, I've seen uh, comic strips where they talk about people who are introverts and, and how uh, talking to other people, it's, it's like a well, that's, it's a bottle that's filled up with a certain amount, a certain volume of being able to talk to other people. And as you chat to those people, that, that thing releases and, and eventually it's emptied and, and then you need to go away and replenish that. And I really, that feels like me, that feels like, you know what, when it's empty, I mean, it replenishes fairly quickly, but like, I, you know, when it's full, it's full. It's brimming. Right now it's brimming. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel a similar way. I kind of, I think I have a high tolerance for uh, interactions, but yeah. you know, it, it does it does bottle out of eventually. Like it does, yeah, it, does, yeah. it, does it does run out. Yeah, I, I, I'm, the, I'm the opposite. I think mine fills, it, 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 I, mean, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like sometimes I'm just done. It's like, I just like, I don't want my bottle empty. I want my bottle to about three quarters full. And then I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm checking out. I'm done. I'm done with this conversation. I'm jettisoning this until I talk to someone I knew. Because and, and I was at Enniskillen Comic Con there at the weekend, um, which was a fun little thing. Um, and it had lots of lots of the British comic scene at it. And I, I, it's like, ah, I, and I find myself bouncing from one table to another because I can't sit at one space Look, okay. I think it's because I'm incapable of holding a proper conversation. <laughs> you know, it's like I can have that. I can have that. Hey, William, let me tell you everything funny that's happened to me recently. And then I do all that. And then it's like, OK, well, how are you apart from all of that? And it's like, oh, do you know what? I've nothing to say. Now I'm away. <laughs> and then run away as fast as I can somewhere else. Yeah, I'm so. kind of it's weird. I've Like I've been interviewing people for, you know, a long time. And, and uh, it should make me OK at like at conventions to be able to go up to some, like someone who I know, like who is an acquaintance to me and be yeah. able to carry a conversation because I'm used to interviewing people. But for some reason, when it comes to, to to idle chit chat, I panic. Yeah, you know, if it's a situation like yeah. this where I know, like, well, I have you for an hour, and you're you're not yeah. getting away from me. Um, so it's it's a little bit easier. Yeah, but but also you come. I'm, I'm assuming. I mean, I might be wrong, but I'm assuming you've come prepared with questions or at least some. You know, whereas whereas when you bump into someone, it, it's the problem isn't the conversation with them. The problem is trying to figure out what it is you can ask them that's going to going to give you an interesting answer. Like my neighbor, he's a very nice man, but my neighbor, every time I chat to him, it's about the weather. For 20 years, it's been about the weather. I I, I, I honestly can't. I mean, at this point, I'm making up stuff about the weather just to get through the day. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I saw that there was like a weird purple cloud. Did you see that? Yeah. No, I didn't see that. No, no, no. Anything to, so that we don't have, oh, look at the weather, eh? Yeah, it's it's the same. <laughs> it's like anything other than that. A hundred different so, ways to say mild. Yeah, yeah, I know. It, it, it really is. You know, it, 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 you just run out of things. I mean, eventually you go surreal with it, and, and it becomes. You know, it's, it's, if we've got to this point now, where the first thing you always ask is, "Are you just back from the Costa del Sol?" Because we, because that's how the weather conversation has gone. <laughs> it's it's somehow it's somehow located itself in another continent. It's or another part of the world. It's, it's just this madness. Anyway, that's what happens when you're sort of you're spiraling around the same three subjects, which I think is what happens with idle chit chat. You do that. You know how how's things with you? How's the kids? How's the how's your uh, other half? How's your work? How's and I mean, and eventually you remember you don't know the person, and and it's like, ah, uh, where do we go from here? Yeah, you know, yeah, and, <laughs> you and, know? and that's the thing. And I feel like in in these sort of scenarios, it's it's more comfortable to be able to ask, like, oh, where are you from, by the way? Yeah, uh, well, that that's the thing. I think it's it's far easier to go. And so, what happened when you were a child? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that that's more interesting. I mean, I I I, I think. I think my wife thinks I have a very low tolerance for people where, where it's like I will chat to them for a second and go, I am now bored of you, please go away. But really, I think it's I have a low tolerance of 
really dull conversations are <laughs> really really boring things to be said that I've heard a million gazillion times before and and if I meet someone and it turns out they've got a really bizarre interesting job I will have you know I will sit intently wrapped listening to that person for hours I will ask every question I can think of I will ask around the topic I will and and but you know but it, most people aren't that interesting I mean and I count myself as one of those people I'm not that <laughs> interesting either um, but ninety percent of people aren't that interesting, and and often even the, even the ones that are uh, that there's a really interesting thing that they do. It's only interesting because you're so far removed from that world. You know, it's it's only you know it's it's, it's like you don't understand the jargon, you don't understand everything about it, so it becomes interesting to you. So me as a working comic artist, I talk to other working comic artists, and it's like a, an accountants convention. There 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 is none more dull, you know. Um, but then I go and meet someone, on, uh, and they'll go to you do. Oh, I'm a comic artist, and it's like, oh my god, that's the most fascinating thing. But they they don't have a way into it. They don't have a way to have a conversation about it because they don't understand any of the processes of it so they don't yeah. when i i kind of i like meeting people like if i find meet someone and they'll say to me oh yeah I'm, I'm a tree surgeon it's like what that's really interesting how does how does that work how do you get up the trees did you have to go to school for that how, how i mean do, i mean has it been the cause of any relationship disasters what, <laughs> how does that how does that work i mean do you have trees do you talk to them are they do you I mean, do you go back to the same tree over 10, 10, 15 years and, th and feel like you, you've bonded with that tree? How does that work? There's so many things you can ask, and most people don't know how to get into conversations like that, and how to ask those things. But anyway, sorry. So I've been ta so I've been taking notes. So has comics been the cause of any relationship disasters? Oh, all of them. <laughs> well, the, the thing, right? So here's the thing, right? My wife and I met 25, 24 years ago. It's all a long time. So when my wife and I met. I was a computer guy. I worked in IT and worked in IT from, from the age of 14. So I was 25 or so when I met her mm. uh, and had worked in computers for 10 years at that point. And, uh, and so we were together for another five years before I Wait, got hold any on. You worked, comic work. Hold on a second. Let's pause for one moment. Yeah. You worked in computers since you were 15? No, 14. How did you start working in computers at 14? I was, uh, look, it, it, I mean, it's belied often by how I look at what I say, but I'm actually quite pretty smart was it a part-time job I, or something yeah no it, i started working part-time I, I what happened was at the age of 14 i it's so 1984 cast like like cast your mind back it's 1984 the, you know computers were still very much early doors uh people were getting computers and the, this was the time when a, a kid like now a kid with a computer oh look there's a kid playing his ipad that's nothing that means nothing everyone's got an ipad but in those days, it'd be, oh, my son's a whiz kid. My, you know, my kid's a whiz kid. He's a whiz kid. You know, he understands computers. He's a whiz kid. I was a whiz kid. That was, that was the, mm. I, I don't think anyone's ever been a whiz kid since the 80s, but that's, I was a whiz kid. Um, and so I, I had a computer when I was 14 and I really loved computers. I love drawing as well, but I love computers. I had a conversation with a friend of mine at the time and I said, look, um, and, and this is the thing, right? So my son is on the spectrum. He's on, uh, he's Asperger on the spectrum. Okay. And my wife is convinced because he's on the spectrum. I'm almost certainly on the spectrum. And there's, you know, I'm not going to deny that that's, there's a very strong hint of that, but we're all on the spectrum in one way or another. So, yeah. uh, but at that, at that time age, one of the things that my son and I have in common is at the age of 13, he's obviously much more mature than a lot of the other kids around him. Um, so it's, it's kind of, oh, uh, it's my mother-in-law's just popped in. Hello, Jill, I'm on the phone. 
so the age of 14 or 13 he was he's much more mature than everyone else in the class in fact he'll come go everyone's so stupid in my class they're all asking this or that and it's like that's really stupid why don't you know about politics it's like nobody knows who Theresa May is <laughs> you go well you're 13 I don't know if necessarily that's a thing you should know at age 13 but I was sort of similar well it, it makes him slightly obnoxious I think but uh, but I was similarly obnoxious as well and, and everyone was deeply immature but at the age of 14 I was really into computers and I said to my friend I says uh, Do you know I don't know there's more money in computers but I really like drawing he went I don't know <laughs> I go why would you ask advice career advice from another 14 year old I mean yeah. that's just stupid that's stupid but anyway I, I ended up um, I got a job a work placement for a week in a computer place and they asked me to stay and I stayed and I stayed for 10-15 years <laughs> so, wow. so, I, I, I wasn't working there all the time I was, it was a Saturday job and then it was an off school job and it was I you know, it began with me basically doing a little bit of kind of because they were all older this is the thing that, that I think is you so when you get older, right? So I'm 48, right? Um, at the time that I started there, I was 14, and the people around me were in their 60s. These these guys had started this uh, uh, computer company. Well, it was a radio company after the war, just after the war. So I was pallying around with two, two 60 year olds who owned this uh, this shop, and, and you know, and and it's, it's boggles my mind that these were war veterans. And now, wow. like, you know, that's that's it. I, and, I, and I'm sitting there, I'm kicking myself sometimes, thinking I should have asked them stuff. I should have, you know, because I'm fascinated by war. But but I was 14, so I didn't really know how to how to approach them, you know, and how how to say what was it like during the war? What, what was it that? What was that like? <laughs> but anyway, anyway, so I I, I worked there, at the age of 14. Um, I left school at about 16, 17, I think. Um, and I just I just kept working on computers, and then I I kind of went back to university at at 23. Um, to do a computer degree, and that's where I met my wife. Um, so, but she's known me all my life as someone who works in computers, and then and then has done a bit of drawing. So there, there's a very distinct stage in my life where my, even my kids and I, for my kids, my kids have only known Dad the comic artist, right. whereas I I was Paul the computer guy for a long long time. And how was yeah. that transition? Because like I I know from personal experience, like it is a slug to break into comics, and it Aaron, is not a lucrative slug. This, <laughs> I, I this is the this is. Right, this is a story that I, I I am convinced could be made into a book because at the time it happened, it was it was a, so. What happened was uh, in ninety and in two thousand, I took a job that was part time working with for a charity doing their IT management, and I kind of thought, well, what I'll do is I'll spend the rest of the time trying to work in comics. You know, it was three days a week, paid quite well, and I'll spend the rest of the time trying to work in comics. But it was a dead end job. I mean, there was nowhere to go from that job. It was. This is the job you're going to die in if you stay in this job. <laughs> but it, it was quite well paid, so it was like you're never going to walk away from it because why would you walk away from a pension and a holiday pay? And you know, it was a, at the time in 2000, it was like 13 grand a year, which was about equivalent to 27. Yeah. If I was working, if I was working full time, it would have been 27 grand a year. That's pretty good. So it was 13. So it was you know, I, I you couldn't legitimately walk away from that. So anyway, 90 or 2007, I think Apple's iPhone came out. And I, I was out uh, at a wedding um, with a, a friend's wedding, and he was he was working. He was a computer guy, and I was a computer guy. And there was another a guy there, a programmer. And I said, I sat down with him. This is before Comicsology and before um, all of these different digital comic stuff. There was no digital comics, right? At this point, if you go into the app store to look for a digital book, there were three. 
you know i think there was a, there was maybe one digital comic and it was a japanese thing um and and i sat with this guy and i said here's what i think we should do here's what would be cool right i think we could do a comic on the iphone and here's how it would work and i described an app that um basically let you because what, what my plan was to draw comics to fit the iphone so the iphone was a certain size and i kind of went the thing is i mean I, i'm used to the British comic market where there are different page sizes. And so Commando Comics, for example, are, the, are a great little digest size. I said, we could do a full comic on a on an iPhone where every page is one screen. That would be very doable. Um, and so I kind of uh, designed this app with this guy. He did the code and I did the design. And so you'd swipe left and right to go back and forth, pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, you'd swipe up and down to go through different layers. So your, your comic would have a, a, a color layer, a pen, an ink layer, and a pencil layer, and you could swipe below, you could swipe down to see each of those. Oh. So if you wanted to see the pe- pencils of a, of a comic, you'd swipe down to see the pencils, and then when you move left and right through the comic, it would be the pencil version of the comic. If you swiped up, you'd go back up to the inks. If you swiped up again, you go back up to the colors. There are um, process junkies to this day who would pay money to see that. Oh, I know, I know, I know. And also, you can turn the, the you can turn the... Uh, dialogue off and on so you can turn the, the uh, all of the dialogue boxes and captions and stuff would just with the tap of a button you turn them all off and in theory and we 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 didn't do this because we just didn't have money to do it but uh in theory you could have different languages and they would just pop their different dialogue boxes on there you could have um and we talked about having video clips in there so if you're on a page you could pop up a little screen that would say you know do this for a little thing uh do this and, and you'd see the video of the of the drawing being done as well and so what happened was I sat and Al Ewing at the time who hadn't broken Marvel but had done stuff for 2008. Al wanted to do a self-published thing or a web comic or something. And I said, Al, Al look, I've, I'm working on this little thing and, it, you know, it might be fun to do this if you've got a comic. And he went, yeah, I've got a strip called Murder Drone. And Murder Drone was, a, um, was basically a sort of boys' own adventure future sports comic about people. Uh, you know, the only way to score a goal is by decapitating the other player and using their head as the ball. You know, right. that's, it's really over the top and silly, which I, I really liked. I thought this was hilarious. And, and it was violent but i was drawn it in a super cartoony way and it was obviously goofy you know it was it was so over the top it was so hyperbolic that that um you you couldn't you know you'd be hard pressed to look at it and go that's really gross you know it's just so silly you couldn't you know it wasn't game of thrones it wasn't like that it was more like it was more itchy and scratchy than Game of Thrones, you know. Well, that's as if so, you showed a real cat and mouse beating each other up the way Tom and Jerry did. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you know, you yeah, might get you away with it. No, no way. So anyway, what happened was uh, the app, Apple had only just introduced the App Store, so they'd only just introduced the idea of people programming their own apps. So uh, we we wrote and drew this. Or it was written already. We drew this comic. Uh, I put layers and all sorts of things on it, and we released it to the App Store, and we got nothing. Nothing. They, they didn't respond. At the time, Apple had banned a couple of apps. They banned a couple of apps for violent content. One of the, one of the key apps they banned. Um, one of the, one of the apps they banned was a, a a kind of psycho app, which was a picture of a knife. And if if you shook the phone like you were stabbing someone with it, it would play the psycho music. It would go whoop whoop. You know, right? So that was one of the apps that got banned. Apple said, "No, we're not having that. That's not the sort of thing we want on our platform." Now, they obviously Apple were selling music and they were selling television and and film on on the App Store or on the on the iTunes. 
and they had ratings, so they had ratings for 12 rating and 15 rating and so on, but the app store didn't. There was no way to rate an app. There was no way to say this app is for 12-year-olds or this app is for 18-year-olds. It didn't right. have that. All, it, all, all they had was basically Apple going, no, that looks a bit too violent, so we're not having it. Um, but they had no other way to, you know, there was no way to control that. So what happened was um, we put our app in. Apple eventually came back and said, look, if you change the content of it, it's a bit violent. Change the content. We'll put it on there. And we kind of we were sitting there going, well, I mean, if you took the vi- if you reduce the amount of violence in it, it actually would make it worse because it's I mean, the violence it's the over the top nature of the violence that makes it harmless. You know, you, if, the, if the game is played by decapitating a player and you show that and the decapitation looks stupid and goofy and funny, that's funny. But if you can't show that and you just have people talking about, oh, he's beheaded that guy and now he's put his head in the bowl. Then you kind of go, that's actually worse, yeah. you know. So we were kind of mulling over what we were going to do. In the mean, so to give you a sense of how fast this happened, this was. Uh, so I met this guy at our friend, a friend's wedding, a mutual friend's wedding. The mutual friend, friend came back from honeymoon two weeks later, which is when we had we'd submit, we'd written the app, submitted the app. It only took a couple, you know, it took a, a week, you know, to do that. He came back from honeymoon, and we said, look, this hasn't been Apple are kind of rejecting us. What do you, what are we going to do? What do you think? Because he he was a, a friend with sort of good business connections, and he said, well, look, here's what I'll do is I'll put out a press release, just a general. I'll I'll email, email it to a couple of companies. It got picked up worldwide. It got picked up by CNN and uh, every single tech. Uh, website that was reporting on the Apple, st- Apple Store and, and news. And it got picked up because there were First Amendment issues that they felt were, were key. You know, okay. of course, I mean, the story was ended up becoming Apple bans violent app, which, you know, it was a bit of a stretch, but that's sort of what, what a lot of the, the reportage was about. And we then started getting phone calls from across the world wanting to talk to us. And this was, oh, this was all three weeks. This is like three, four weeks. And we then had the guys from uh, NBC Universal contact us. They were doing a, a Heroes comic app, uh, and they wanted to put the Heroes comic on the iPhone and said, can you do this for us? And we went, uh, y- yeah. So we were taking phone calls with them. We, we took phone calls with the head guys at DC. We took phone calls, I think, from the head guys at Marvel, if I remember rightly. Um, and Because, again, no comicsology at this point. Um, there was uh, a guy called uh, a guy who had an app out called Iverse that was around the same sort of time, and and it, and he had come up. I mean, like me, he'd looked at the iPhone and went, "You could do comics on this. I don't see why this would be hard." And and then went away and did it, and then came back and saw our press, and then went, "Oh, I'd better push this out now." <laughs> uh, and so 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 all this was happening while this was happening. I was taking my the the work I was doing at that time as well. The you know there was a bit of the crunch had started happening then. The financial crunch had started happening. Right. So 2007, 2008, whatever it was, and um, we were taking phone calls with the head guys at D- DC, and I was coming out, and my my underarms were sore from the sweat. From, and my my adrenaline was pumping constantly because of the phone calls we were taking. Yeah. And in the end, uh, what I ended up doing was leaving my job of seven years, going in and saying, um, "Look, I'm not going to be in tomorrow, forever again, <laughs> because I've I've got to go away and do this. I don't know. I honestly didn't know what would happen. I I, I genuinely had conversations with Annette saying, "I think we could be rich. I think this could be us. I mean, there there's certain. I mean, there's definitely a lot of naivety went on there. Um, there's definitely a lot of stupid optimism. But at the same time. We one of the first things that um, so after after this all kicked off, 
We still hadn't got the app on the App Store. Um, Matt, who who had written the press release, said, "Look, I know there's a lot of uh, there's currently there's a a, a young entrepreneur there's an entrepreneurs contest on, and let's put in a form for that." And he says, "What's your business model?" And I said, "Well, look, here's the basic numbers." And I re- we sort of ran off a bunch of basic numbers. I says, "All we have to do is a fraction of the comics industry, and we'd all be rich." You know, we'd, you know, we'd be, you know, you, you only have to imagine, never mind the fraction of the of the people who would uh, have an iPhone, because that was a much bigger number. That was in the millions at the time. Like, God knows what the number is now, but that was in the millions at the time. Um, I says, look, if, if, you know, let's ignore that. But look at the comic market. Look at the comic industry and how many comics. So what's the top selling comic uh, is is Batman. That's 300,000 a month. Let's pretend we're a fraction. Like all, if we do loads of comics, let's pretend we're a fraction, a tiny fraction of that. And that suddenly means that the industry as a whole is worth at least this million, this numbers of million over, you know, over a year. Mm. And I went, that's that's the basis I would think about it. And so we did. We entered this competition. We were we came down to the top two. And I did a presentation and I, Matt says, you do a presentation. I went, yeah, all right. I was on fire. At this point, I felt like everything I touched was turned into gold. Yeah. Um, Apple had a had an app store opening, so our app was still banned, and we were trying to get a little bit of interest and publicity in it. Apple had an app store opening in Belfast, and I I said, look, do you know what we should do is we should go down and hand everyone out in the queue T-shirts with our company logo on it, so that when they go, because the people will fill the the local TV, regional TV will fill them the the fact that the store is opening. I know they will. Because it's a big deal and people will be queuing because it's a big deal because they queued. At that point, they were queuing. Every time an Apple store opened somewhere in the world, there was big queues to get in. Right. I said, let's go down and do that. And I went, well, yeah, but we can't afford to print up hundreds of T-shirts. That's crazy. I went, we're not going to print up hundreds of T-shirts. We're going to print up five. <laughs> five? Well, what's the point? I says, we give them to the first five people in the queue because the TV crew only care about the first people in. Yeah. And I was right. That's good thinking. <laughs> they That's did. very good thinking. <laughs> and they, they interviewed, they, the TV interviewed a couple of people, father and son, and they were wearing my T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, it was like, everything I touch is gold. This is great. Glad that, this is the thing I should be doing. Uh, and so I... Um, uh, and again, this is all like a com- super compressed time frame. It's not like this all sounds like it's taken weeks and weeks and months. It hasn't. This is like three, four weeks. It's like right. two months or something, you know, a month into it. And so we, we did this. Uh, I did the presentation for the entrepreneur thing. And I stood up in front of these people. And I said, look, here's what the, here's what, how the industry works right now, right? Which I'm, I'm, not, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but mm-hmm. anyone who's listening might not be. But uh, what happens is you order a book. You go to a comic shop and say, I want to order this book from this catalog and the comic shop goes certainly sir that'll be in in three months and you go brilliant the next month you go back to the comic shop and say i know my first issue isn't in but i'd like to order issue two from this catalog and they go certainly sir that'll be three months come back the next month you go is it not in yet but that's fine i want to order the third issue of it and they go certainly that'll be three months and then by the time you go to order the fourth issue of it you're actually buying the first issue and then you read it and you go this is rubbish yeah. <laughs> or this is brilliant or or, or whatever what you, you know the, the the upshot is that the, the ordering system is insane no other industry works like that there's about you, you like two go, or three middlemen involved in comic book ordering <laughs> yeah yeah well that well, yeah i mean there's that i mean there's there's yeah, I mean, it's 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 just the way it's grown up, I think. I mean, partly the way it's grown up, but it's like you don't go into a clothes shop and say, I would like to buy this season's clothes out of this catalogue here, and I'll have them in three months. And then you come back the next month and say, I'd like to buy next season's clothes. You don't order food like that. You know, you don't you don't order anything like that apart from comics. So I, I kind of went, and the way it would work on a phone is you write and draw a comic, you put it, make it available on your comic store online, and it's available instantly, and people just buy it. 
that was that was the way it would work. And I and I you know I, th- I felt like I was persuasive a persuasive presentation, and I gave them the numbers and what I felt would be a reasonable. Uh, I said obviously not now. I mean obviously it'll take a, a certain amount of work, but I think with investment and time, the comic uh, comic industry uh, digital comic industry could be worth so many millions. And they said, "What's your end goal?" I said, I, "You know I haven't really given it end goal in uh, any much thought, but end goal would be Apple buy you." You know, it seems a reasonable assumption to make that if you become a big enough uh, platform on Apple's device, Apple would go, yes, we're sh- we should buy this device. We should buy this software. And that's that's, you know, if you get investment, if you get investment in, they want to know what the escape vector is. They want to know how they're going to get out with all of their money plus Lots and lots of money. Lots of investors are not in for long-term growth. Yeah. They're in for, how do I get an immediate payback? What's my immediate payback? And and I kind of went this. And then, of course, um, I went to uh, Matt. And this is, the one, this is the one moment where everything went off the rails. And I said, Matt, do you think we should look for local investment? We should get a million pounds from somewhere. He said, I could find us people who would give us a million pounds. Snaps his fingers like that. He says, but well, I think we should do it ourselves. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and that's when that's when things went off the rails. Um, so I I left my day job, went to work ostensibly went to work for Matt doing some programming stuff, thinking this is it. I'm I'm off. I'm out of computers and I can do programming. But of course, the first job I had was to write the back end for the for the comic app for NBC, which was you know which which gives us a big chunk of money. Uh, and I I did that, and it was like. I, I was supposed to be doing comics. This is not what I, this isn't. And so I took, I, I had about six grand or something from that job. And I went, I'm going to take this, right? And I am going to see if I can live on this for six months and see if I can make a go of doing comics. And that, that's that's where I went. There, It's an unreproducible thing. Yeah. You cannot. <laughs> no, I can't, you, you can't I give that advice to somebody coming in. No, saying, no, like, no. Well, this is what you should do. Yeah, here's the confluence of events you need to happen before <laughs> before you can do what you've got to do. But when that happens, you better make sure you're ready, you know. Um, and so, I mean, and the, I mean I'm mean, i not going to lie. Like, some years have been better than others, and some years have been worse. And this year has been a particularly good one because I've been doing a lot of Get World of Tank stuff. But, I mean, there's definitely years where I've gone, why did I give up my day job? why didn't they stick at it that's nuts that was gonna be my next question in a sense of like because like you said that was a very condensed period of uh, Mm. success and also just you know a lot of attention a lot of interest the the come down off that must be very hard to cope with it it was i mean there there was a lot of personal stuff happened to to at the time um that 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 made it really difficult and and even if even if things had taken off at that point, I couldn't have left. Um, you know, I, I, there was stuff that was happening that, that was, um, you know, we lost um, my wife's brother uh, died around that time, and it, it just it just just floored her. And with a new baby at the time as well, and it just meant that there was nothing. You know, there was no success could have you know balanced against that. It, would, it just felt like this incredible seesaw in the opposite direction right. that, that you know uh, that just pushed us kind of and made it very you know it, 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 we went from this incredible we're going to be millionaires to i don't know if we're all going to get through this kind of way yeah. very very quickly it was it was difficult and and um I, I and i mean i think as well I, I afterwards i kind of looked at it and went ah i think what happened here was because all a lot of it was precipitated on two things one was the press release going out the other thing was was um I had a YouTube video up of me just showing this app off, and it was. I mean, even now, I think if you look at it, I think if your comic's not 
and you look at this app and how gracefully it handled moving between pencils, inks, and, and color and stuff, um, you would go, God, love that. Why don't we have that now? Yeah. That's amazing. And I, I put this video up, and within a week, it had 40,000 views. Um, and now, at that point, this was 10 years ago, so at that point, 40,000 views was a huge number of views on, on a YouTube video. I mean, now you don't think anything's viral until it's... Ha- I mean, I, I posted a stupid little cartoony sketch on Twitter the other day. I had 13,000 likes within, like, two days you know and and so and even that i wouldn't call viral no that's that's just popular for a day or two but but my mistake was thinking it meant something my mistake was thinking this is something this is this is going to change the industry uh when in fact what i was basically was this week's cat playing a piano that was that's all i was but at that that stage like you know 2007 2008 like the you know the internet was relatively young i mean like podcasting was only just becoming a thing yeah like it's yeah. only being birthed into existence youtube well there were like, i mean the, the feels like it's around forever but it wasn't no 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 i mean all, all of this that's i mean this is the the funny thing about listening to the uh, older podcast that we're putting up is this podcast from 10 years ago so it was a year after all of this had happened mm-hmm. and in and the apple ipad had yet to come out and the apple ipad was about to be announced so it's a good 40 minutes 30 minutes of us chatting about oh what do you think the apple slate is going to be like because at that point, everything, everyone was convinced they were going to be called slates. There'd be an Apple slate, there'd be a <laughs> HP slate, there'd be a Microsoft slate, and there'd be this slate and that slate. And uh, and it was, so what was this slate going to be like? Do you think it'll be good for comics? I think it should be amazing for comics, but it all depends, of course, on whether you can buy them from iTunes, you know. Right. Uh, so, although, I mean, the, the thing, the frustrating thing for me, I, I kind of, I walked away from the whole thing. I walked away from the whole thing for a couple of reasons. One, because of the personal stuff that was going on that made it sort of too difficult to, to kind of get involved in too many things. Um, I, I just got my head down and tried to work and, and tried to support my wife and, and uh, you know, look after this young... Cause, and, and the other thing that was happening at the time as well was our, our new baby was in and out of hospital every couple of weeks. He had um, breathing difficulties, so we were in and out of that hospital. I mean, there's definitely moments I was sat in the hospital with him on my knee thinking he was going to die. And, you know... I, all of this was just it was it very quickly pushed that other stuff out of the way yeah you know, very quickly just shoved it out of, out of the corner I completely you know it, it was at one point it took up a big space in my head the next moment it was right out it just fell out the end of my ear as as per homer simpson it just just dropped out uh and it was like also you know all hands to the pump to make sure we can survive this and and get through it and um so so it, it uh yeah but but I mean, coming back to it 10 years later, you're kind of thinking, well, why are our comics on the iPad still the same as they were 10 years ago? <laughs> where's, where's the poten- I mean, the potential is enormous and nobody's trying. I mean, I understand, I understand from a uh, publisher's perspective, it's actually quite a lot of work. You know, it's quite a, it was quite a lot of work for me to create a comic with all those layers. And I knew I was doing it. You know, it wasn't retroactive. It was I am doing it at the time I was doing, you know, as as, as I'm building this this comic, I'm, I'm doing it. And and you see, I mean, you see those big collector editions that are out and available now that weren't, you know, didn't exist 10 years ago. Uh, I, mean, I have the Dark Knight Returns one. And so you get these beautiful original scans of the artwork, but you also get scans of uh, re- scans of reproductions of the artwork and you get scans of the original artwork as published because they don't have you know the original artwork's long since gone uh, because no one was keeping a track of it because it didn't seem important so you've got scads of material out there that that is is just the published work because no one thought you know at some point we're going to need higher resolution than this or at some point we're going to need uh 
comic if pencil layers or layouts and so on. Um, so, but going forward, I mean, there's no reason why a publisher can say, "Give us all the pencils for this, and we'll put together a really cool package for digital readers." But okay. it, it's too much work. You know. I have well, I have a, I have a maybe a very conspiracy paranoid theory about that. <laughs> um, but like, do you wonder because I mean, you hear all the time, and I know you've even commented about this a little bit yourself on Twitter. Uh, you, people talk about all the time about how digital is killing comics or at least killing floppy sales and you hear yeah. you hear a lot about how floppy sales are so vital um and for people who don't know who are only mildly uh, interested in comics floppy sales is basically the single issues that are sold every month um that uh, that they're so vital to the industry to keep comics going that they that maybe they haven't put a lot of like investment into digital the side of things because they're they haven't I, figured I, out. I, I would I would never ascribe to conspiracy what could be ascribed to laziness. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I honestly, I my my feeling, my honest feeling is that's a lot of work. That all that putting together these extra packages are a lot of work. It requires investment. It requires time. It's a bit of a gamble. We, you know, what 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 I think most publishers do is they take their PDF that they send to their printer and they say they hand it to Comicsology and say they're monetize that and give us the money when right. you're done. So it requires the least amount of effort on their on their part, and and I can understand that. I mean, it, it is a huge amount of effort, and when you've got you know editors are tasked with putting together multiple comics per month. Um, and so it's it's unrealistic to kind of go look. Not only do you have to chase the pencils and inks, you you know, not only do you have to put this book together, you've also got to put together all the backup material. And and I mean, similar to similar to DVDs and Blu-rays. I mean, the amount of effort, and it all happens. You know, sometimes there's parallel efforts where someone, you know, if they're making a film, they'll go, do you know what, we're going to have a little film crew follow you around in the making of so we can put together a documentary afterwards. Sometimes that happens. But more often than not, it's, "Mm, let's see if we can go backwards through the stuff that we've got and put together a package to sell on Blu-rays. And and let's do that. Um, You know, so so I I think it's just it's just a question of it's it's a difficult thing. I, I, I do think, I mean, and this is parallel to what you're talking about i do i I disagree with the idea that the digital will harm print in any shape way shape or form i think people like having packages you know people like owning books people like owning graphic novels people like owning comics and 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 the proof of that is very easy to find or or rather it's almost it's it's proof by omission Uh, you know if you want proof that people will not let go of their graphic novels and their comics you try and find a graphic novel or a comic in a second hand shop Right, you know, I mean, I'm in second-hand shops all the time. Books everywhere, CDs everywhere, clothes everywhere. How often do you stumble across a graphic novel? Yeah, that's you true. Know? And I, I, I was talking to people recently about kind of being more. Wi- I've been more willing to let go of trades now hmm. um, if I feel like they're ones that I, I'm not going to reread again. I bet you. I bet you. What will make you more willing to let go of a trade is if there's a better version of the trade. <laughs> I bet you what will make you let go of a paperback is if there's a hardback version of a book you love. I I actually no, I'm not one of those people. Believe it or not? not, no. It is, it is just it's it's just the case now at this point where I've I've reached the point where I'm filling three different bookshelves and I'm yeah, like yeah. I need to make room for new new stuff. <laughs> yeah, I need to I need to bring new stuff back in here again. Yeah, but that, but that's it. I mean, it's not stopping you buying new stuff. You no. know, I mean. Yeah, I certainly it's taken a long time, but right now I would prefer to have digital uh, uh, TV stuff than uh, digital films than than um, Blu-rays or CDs, and that's that's really come down to a, a better fidelity of what I'm seeing. But but the I mean the, the upshot is that a TV on Blu-ray 
a film on Blu-ray is no different than a film on, that you're downloading and watching on that, on Netflix. Really, you know, there's no difference there because you're watching it in the same television. Well, I think there's a lot, no difference. I think a lot of people assume that because, like, music, for example, you know, when that it went digital, CD sales took a plummet because of the ease of it. And I think everyone assumed that, that the same would be the case for comics. But I don't. Yeah. Like you, like you said, I don't think there's a real. If you look at, if you look at it, I don't think there's a real argument that that is no. actually happening. I, I honestly, I honestly think it's the way the 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 way the industry is set up is what's damaged pamphlet sales more than anything else i think the the damage that marvel and, and dc did in the 90s where they they were pumping out books and and not 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 just to blame the companies i mean it was the readership that it was readers coming in and buying 20 copies of the same cover yeah. and so the market was inflated and so companies whenever the whenever they couldn't afford to keep doing that and suddenly you didn't lose one reader i mean you didn't lose uh, you didn't lose 50 readers reading 50 comics you lost one reader who bet, bought 50 copies of a comic and suddenly you had that, and then that all collapsed, and, and so the the comic shops and and I think comic stores are a lot nicer than they were ten or fifteen years ago. Uh, I think the Big Bang is an exemplar of what a good comic shop can look like. Um, shout out to John and Bruno and JP, uh, and um, what do you call it? And and there are more stores like that, and more and stores are aiming to be that kind of uh, area. Um, but it, you know, I think a lot of the pamphlet sales are down to what the industry does to itself. You know, I, I don't. I think I think digital sales have the potential to be open to different readers. Uh, I think digital sales have the potential to allow people to, even if digital sales were a pittance of a penny off the cost of a comic. I think. I mean, what stops me buying a Marvel and DC comic more than anything is the interstitial ads within the comic. That annoys me. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. That that annoys. Like reading a comic and then finding oh. Oh my God! What's just happened to the X Men? Oh, they appear to be advertising penguin bars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then on to the next page, and every third page being an advert. That is what would kill a pamphlet. That's what makes pamphlet unattractive to me. You know, yeah. otherwise pamphlets are. I you know, and I hate using the word pamphlets, but let's you know, comics. Otherwise, individual comics are the best form for that material. They are the best form, but and and when I say best, I mean. Um, like in the same way that, that the best form for certain films is big screen and the best form for certain television is small screen, the best form for comics as a medium is the pamphlet. Uh, and that's because you can open it up and you can see double page spreads in all their glory. You've got a physical page turn for that excitement and and so on. Um, and so any any damage to sales are done, I think, not because people don't like that or prefer digital over that. It's because they've made that worse. you know. And Steve Jobs said... A long, long time ago, when he was talking about um, when iTunes started up, and they were talking about um, uh, how do we make people buy records, and he said very simply, you know, what you do is you make the experience of buying it better than the experience of stealing it, and and it, so it wasn't down to the cost, it wasn't down to the money, it was down to which is a more convenient format, and up until that point, it was more convenient to pirate something than it was to buy, legitimately buy it, you know, yeah. and 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 now. It's still now for ninety percent of people. It's still probably more convenient to just download a, a copy of a comic from from a, a dodgy website than it is to go out and and uh, find a comic store and, and buy one. I and mean, I'm not saying that that's the only reason they do it. I mean, it, I'm you know, but certainly the convenience factor is is obviously. I mean, of course, pirate sites are then become horrible 
you know, viral infected sorted hell pits. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that sort of would be, put people off. But, um, you know, I, I think the biggest da- da- damage that the digital market did was to itself when Comixology was bought by Amazon. And Amazon took the ability to just purchase comics off that app. That, you know, and yeah. suddenly the, to buy a digital comic became stilted and awkward and hard and difficult and it's like this is the whole point of this is convenience and ease of use you know and i i i I genuinely think if um digital comics were nice and easy to buy and read and print comics were nice and easy to buy and read they can they can exist together more than happily you know because people still want to own things you know they still want to hold things especially comics I'm very interested to see how uh, Vault do because they've just uh, launched a new uh, website where you can order their comics directly to your store of choice. Mm-hmm. So, like, which would is kind of like you're saying is taking a lot of uh, the hardship out of of doing yeah, it a little yeah. bit. You can just like if they someone tweets about like, hey, my new comic that I wrote is coming out through Vault, and you can go like, yeah. okay, and just click this link to order there, it to there, your local comic still, book store. I mean, there's still there's still these enormous obstacles to being a comic reader that that we're that you don't feel because you're a comic reader. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? You're used it's to like that. we we don't yeah we're so used to these things that we don't feel they're obstacles. You know the the three month pre order thing is doesn't feel like an obstacle. The idea that that um, comic readers have to punt their book to really push the PR three months before you can buy it because that gets you into the store to pre order it. You know. And, and then whenever the book comes out and available to buy, then they've got to tell you to go out and buy it. But you might not find it if you didn't pre-order it. Oh, yeah. You know, that, I, all I, these things are insane. <laughs> I, I lose track of when an actual comic comes out because yeah. I'll see the cover for it like four months in advance even. Because sometimes yeah. you get the cover even earlier. Um, yeah. And then by the time I actually see the cover on the shelf, I'm like, wait, did I not read that already? Like, is that... Yeah, not- <laughs> Have I I got this now already? What's happened there? Yeah, it is. It's nuts. And and, I mean, I I, like it's a tough job for comic shops to keep a track of what's happening on on that front. Uh, And those stores that do it well, I think, do well. Um, those stores that can know exactly when a book's coming out and be, you know, ready for it and, and available for it is, uh, you know, more power to them. I wish it was easier for them. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have answers to any of these things. I genuinely don't have answers. I just know they're they're awkward and difficult and, and um, there's no one necessarily to blame. There's no single person you can point at and say, oh, it's, this is all Stan Lee's fault. <laughs> you know, you can't, it, just, it just doesn't happen. It just can't happen. But, but um, As an industry, I, we went I, through I, that phase where we blamed Stan Lee for everything. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And now, now we'll all come around feeling really sorry for him. That's, yeah. You know, uh, what comes around, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I, I, do, I mean, I, I like what the guys in the Panos, Panos Syndicate did. I think that was clever. Um, in fact, one of you know again the podcast that we we talked about um, that was from eight years ago, and we were talking about what comics could be, what digital comics could be. One of the things I'd suggested then is these big names that are capable of selling a book should just cut out the middleman and sell it directly to readers, and yeah. and not sell it via publishers. I, but but what's interesting, I think, is and and it shows you that that, that these things don't need to compete. You know, these these are not, you know, I don't think. Um, uh, I don't think that you know readers will go. I'm, I've bought this digital, so I'm not buying it analog, or I've bought this analog, so I'm not buying it digital. I think what will happen is people will go. If they were cheap enough, people will go. I'll oh, buy a digital comic. That's nice and cheap, and I'll try it because it's available right this second now. You've piqued my interest with your plugage. I will go and buy this right now because it's available. I can click one button and own it, yeah. and then they'll read it and they go, "Oh, that's pretty cool." Do you know, actually, I'd like a copy of that. 
well, go yeah, to a comic shop and, and see it and buy it. Especially when it comes to trades, because trades are such a nice... There's something very satisfying about how it's so book-like. Because, you know, people, if you think about it, I've never read like a, in a, a novel a second time. I, I read, yeah. They just sit on my shelf forever, but there's something very satisfying about having it sitting on your shelf. It looks nice. It's, yeah. You know, there's, there's, a, there's there a weird well, culture there, there, I, There's definitely, I mean, there's perennial um, graphic novels I reread. Uh, I used to reread Dark Knight Returns every year, uh, religiously, Watchmen every couple of years, um, V for Vendetta every few years. Uh, I own those in digital and analog and uh, sometimes I have two copies of them. Sometimes I have them, and you know I have extra copies. We are collectors. I think comic readers are collectors, yeah. and it's still. I mean, we're still not a mass market. I think digital potentially could be a mass market. I think if digital were a mass market, then uh, comic shops would do, uh, cra- you know, cracking work, yeah. you know, hand over fist. There will always be books that will only sell one way or another. There will always be titles that will do quite well as as. Uh, you know, a web comic, not necessarily as a print comic. Um, I think if you had a mass market, it would surprise you what does well over what doesn't. Um, I my kids love. There's a book called Rutabaga, which is about a kind of barbarian chef who goes across the this kind of fantasy landscape, killing giant monsters and then making nice soups out nice. of ingredients. And then and then there's a little sort of ingredient list of things he's made the soups out of. And uh, and it's a free web comic. You can read it for free. But you can also buy a hard, a, a nice copy of it. And, you know, my nine-year-old loves that book. And, uh, you know, I could point him to the free one. He, he liked it, but he loves owning thing. He loves owning it, loves yeah. having it, loves smelling it. And we have in his, his room, we have this little, what was a walk-in wardrobe that we've turned into a little mini library. So he's got shelves stacked to the ceiling and he's got all of his books in there and he collects books. He reads them and he collects them and he will buy, we'll go to second-hand bookshops and he will buy a load of books. He's nine. So people like things. It's really deep. It's deep in their DNA if they like stuff like that. And they, you know, the smell and the texture and the feel. It's a very, you know, it's. I, I think co- digital comics are a great way to consume content, but they're not a great way to invest your soul in something. Yeah, if you're a fan, if you're a fan of something, you'll always take the next step, really. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think there's. I mean, when you say fan of some people think, oh, you mean like a proper fanatic? And I, you know, do you know what? People are fans of loads of things they really love. And they're prepared to buy things of, you know, that's that's what we are. It's, that's how we exist as humans. Um, now, uh, I know I don't have a leave for much longer, so I definitely don't want to leave. Oh, no, uh, you've got, you can talk to me for um, up until three. Okay, well, I, I well, I know I have places to be as well today. Oh, right, so. oh, right. Oh, well, that was a very kind way of you saying, hurry up and shut up. Yeah, I was, I was, right. I was trying to be very good, but I wanted to make a hit on something before we do finish up. Yeah. Which is, uh, you're doing, as you mentioned earlier on, World, World of Tanks. Uh, World of Tanks, yeah. Um, so, uh, how many issues of that have you, have you done? I uh, so right uh, this current series, which is called Citadel, which is based on the Kursk offensive uh, that uh, happened in um, Russia, is five issues. Five so issues. right now I'm on the last. I'm inking the last ten pages of that. The first issue's out now. You can buy it in all the cool comic shops. And uh, next week on the um, I think it's the twenty sixth. Is it twenty sixth? Or 23rd, I can't remember the day because I'm an idiot. Uh, I will be doing a sign in in Forbidden Planet Belfast. And so oh, come nice. along and, and see me. So so uh, I'll, I'll be signing the book there. No. Um, so, but that, what, what I've done, oddly, what I've done is I, I so I did, I did this, I've done this. I've also done um, uh, the previous series, which was called Rollout, which was started by Carlos Esquerra. Carlos couldn't finish it and I had to step, I stepped in then. I was asked to step in and I did like three issues of that 
Um, so and then and then between the two of them, between drawing one and drawing the other, uh, World of Tanks the actual so World of Tanks is a massive multiplayer video game that that has millions of players worldwide on it. I had never heard of it because I do not know what's going on in the world. <laughs> if it's, if it's not comics or children's TV related. I don't know what's happening. I, I, was, um, I was first made aware of it because it was, it was, it's a mobile game as far as I'm aware, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, no, no, no. It's, it's, it initially started on consoles and PCs, ah. and now there's a mobile version of it, but it's really big on PCs. Right, because I, I, it was one of those games that ever, for, about, for about the spate of a year... Every YouTube video I watched, the advert at the start of each video was for World yeah. of Tanks. Like they yeah. had such an offensive, uh, you know, when it came to marketing, they 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 hit everywhere. Uh, mm. So you could not not be made aware of it, at least in my circles for a while. Yeah, so. didn't make you play the game though. Aaron, I noticed. <laughs> I'm not, but that's so, the thing. So, I'm not so a no big harm then. That was a lot of advertising money wasted on you. <laughs> I'm not a big like. That's the thing. I'm not a big military guy, and I know you were saying yeah. earlier that that is something that fascinates you. Yeah, so yeah. This must have been well, a, when I was a, a kid, gig. I was really yeah. Well, when I was a kid, um, I think Garth and I both grew up in Belfast around the same sort of time. So we grew up seeing the army about and being fascinated by all. I mean, there was war comics on every shelf and in, in newsagents. Um, and you know, so we we both had a, a sort of parallel uh, growing up period of of being fascinated by war and and stuff. And and you know, you see the army and you're running around the streets of Belfast, which looked like a you know looked like 1940s war zone anyway. Um, and you know, you'd pick up a broken leg of an armchair and pretend it was a machine gun, and, <laughs> and you just grow up being, being playing army. And you come home and then play with your action man and your green and tan armies fighting against each other and stuff. But it was a way to escape what was happening in the world. And then, of course, television in those days was was um, made up of films, black and white films, often war movies. You know, that that's right. that's what most TV was then. So we, you know, I think we had parallel growing up of that. So I've always liked war stuff really and i I'll still i'll still pick up commando the, the commando's still going commando's this little uh, digest oh god yeah yeah four comics every two weeks wow right? two of them are reprint and two of them are brand new typically so um it is four every every week uh, every fortnight and they are something like two pound or something they're really quite good value for money uh, and they are exactly the same as they were when i was 10 you know they're they're <laughs> black and white they they are uh they're they're a Roughly, so I'm looking at one now. They're two pound twenty five. This one here is issue five thousand one hundred and seventeen. Holy crap! Right. There are sixty three pages um, in a strip, and the strip is actually this is made quite good use of the space in this one. Uh, the strips typically are two panels per page because the pages are are so much smaller. Right. Um, and they smell iron they smell they smell lovely oh i already know i already know the smell like just because i have such a, a memory of it from my childhood like yeah yeah so yeah so i mean I, i'll be honest though after after what i've drawn now I must be a mount to um yeah so what i'm saying is between the two comics i also did world of tanks uh we're using a, a media company to do these animation interstitials for their video games that's okay. twice i've used the word interstitial in this podcast that's that's probably two times more than any other podcast ever <laughs> that word um they they what what so world of tanks the game is a multiplayer game but they've re- released this ver- this kind of add-on to it that lets you play single player missions and the single player missions start with a little sort of cinematic thing or an animatic of you know setting up the mission and who you are and stuff and what you've got to do and so what they did was they contacted uh, some comic artists to do these little sequences 
and so I did I did one of these sequences. Um, so it's it's kind of it was fun seeing my stuff animated. It's kind of odd. You sort of draw it, and you draw it multi layers, and then the, the team go in and animate all these things. But honestly, I've drawn now uh, between the comics, so uh, maybe 20, 30, 40. Uh, this one's 20 issues each, five, 100 and, 160 pages of tanks. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I can't draw any more tanks. Please okay, let me draw so, any more tanks. So I have two, I have two questions about that. So uh, one is that, like, so I, uh, I, I said to the distant you know nick roach right um yeah yeah i said this before although i know him as nick rock because <laughs> because i've never figured out how to pronounce that surname and he won't tell me he keeps saying whatever whatever way you want to say it that's fine with me and yeah he, you get he's a very amiable lad that nick <laughs> yeah but, he is he's uh, too nice um but he like he's notorious for drawing um like uh, transformers comics yeah yeah, and yeah. it's all hard lines it's all like because they're they're chunky yeah blocky it, it isn't it isn't it isn't i mean the thing with 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 so right the tank stuff the tank stuff i draw is real world tank stuff right yeah. i'm quite a cartoony artist as i'm sure you're aware so there's a sort of goofiness to my characters and faces but i can't really Really do that in the tanks it's very hard to convey emotion within a you know you don't want to push it too far because uh, you know it's not wacky races so you can't just go oh i'm gonna have this tank leaping over a hill so i'll curve the body of it and make it look like you know an hannah barbera animation i right. can't do that so i'm drawing i am drawing straight lines i am i, I mean basically i'm um using 3d models of tanks to kind of draw over and figure out what this tank is going to look like um whereas nick and i, I mean I, I don't really want to speak for nick but ha- these are characters that you know yeah. nick's transformers are characters he can be expressive and, with but, it he can be expressive with it, and so they're, they're. In fact, when you say they're straight lines, I would, I would posit, sir, uh, I would posit that if <laughs> well. he were to go straight lines on all of those transformers, it would kill and flatten his work, and his work is not dead. So I know, I'm pretty sure, I'm on safe ground to say that that's the one thing he doesn't do is draw straight lines. So there's still, there's still a lot of give and flexibility in what he's doing. Um, you know, one isn't better than the other. You know, these are these are choices you make based on what kind of material it is. If I were doing tanks within a a frame that let me be a wee bit more expressive with the vehicles, um, then I would do that. You know, I would push that because that's that's what I like to draw. To draw. Yeah. But as it happens, you're, you're drawing tanks for tank heads. You're drawing tanks for people who like the vehicles, and you're trying to draw something that's realistic. And you know, is the fog of war, and and so so you you know, I mean, I the expressiveness comes in, or the trick of it comes in. How do you make these things, these bits of still metal? How do you make them look like they're moving? You know. Um, and like James uh, Hiron, I I steal everything that I can think of from James Hiron. <laughs> how do you how do you have you have you gotten to the point now where you've become like so intimate with do you have a favorite tank to draw at this point no i i do i mean a lot of the drawn so i cheat you know a lot of the drawn is i've got 3d models of the tanks i can put them on the page where i want them i can render them into a very simple uh flat line drawn mm. there's no life to that so i have to draw over the the thing anyway yeah. um and when i draw over it it's kind of it it, it gives it a little bit of bounce and and although although i'm saying i'm you know these are straight lines these aren't i mean i'm i'm freehanding all the lines there's there's bumps and crevices and holes in them and they feel more alive because of that they feel like they've been lived in um but I have drawn 
you know, of the tanks that I've drawn, the the, the tank, the Matilda is the one that's this story is predominantly about. It's yeah. the one that runs all the way through it. And, he, and the, the interesting thing is that when you draw, so I'm copying these tanks, basically. Um, after a while, you kind of sit down and somebody says, can you draw a tank? And you go, I can draw you a Matilda. <laughs> because <laughs> because that's you've got all the muscle memory now of that right. particular tank. You know, it's, it's like, oh, I know what that one looks like. So um, I wouldn't say I've got a favorite. I mean, I quite like the, the, the I mean, I love drawing the tanks are kind of fun for a while and then you kind of go oh god i'm just sick of tanks um so yeah i, I mean I'm, I'm sort of hoping the next project has got no well i know the next project's got no tanks on it uh so um but it's it's quite it's world war ii and it's quite a long one as well so um i can't really talk about it do you yet, feel like but, you feel like um, you're getting typecast now um i don't I, I don't know i think i think garth Garth will go to me if he wants World War Two stuff. I think. No, I, I think if Garth's got a publisher interest in World War Two stuff, he might go. Are you available? Um, which is cool because Garth writes really good stuff, and you don't yeah. ever want to. I mean, I've turned my hand to writing lately um, because I I, I, I kind of feel like I, I want to pivot a little bit towards writing. Partly because I think as an artist, you're more in control of your own destiny if you can initiate a project. Ninety percent of the projects I do is somebody comes to me and says, "Are you free to draw this?" Right. And and so I get given projects people assume I'm I'm either good good for or interested in, um, or available for. Um, what I rarely get to do is go. This is the kind of thing I would like to draw now, and can I do that? No one ever gives me because, you know, you'd have to go and find a writer. So I've I've kind of thought I'll make a little pivot towards writing. And you think this can't be that hard? I I should be able to do. It. I'm I, I think I'm good. At, <laughs> I think I'm good at telling a story. Like when I'm talking to people, I can tell them an anecdote. People will laugh, and I I will tell a story. And I can, you know, I, I'll give you a different character. You know, I'll I'll talk about people. I I can imagine conversations with people, which I think are fairly true to their characters. So in my head, I'm thinking these are all writer skills. You know, okay, you haven't written them out, but they're all skills that a writer needs. You yeah. know, you need to be able to start and stop a story. Uh, and then you kind of think, right, yeah, so I can I should be able to do this. I just got to come up with some ideas and and write, sit down and think about them and write them out and you do it it's really hard it's like extracting teeth and and then Garth goes here's 50, here's the next 50 pages of this project and you read it and you go oh my god this is just so good uh, it's like <laughs> well, he it's has, effortless he has a little bit of experience does Garth yeah, so yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah, a little there's, bit there's no two ways about it He's, I mean I'm not you know it's it's not I think I think if I hadn't if I wasn't working with people like Garth Ennis and, and Michael Carroll and um, John Wagner and and although I've worked very little with John Wagner, funny, but uh, Gordon Rennie, um, uh, uh, Rob Williams, every every writer I've ever worked with is, is a really good writer. You know, I, I mean, yeah. part of the reason I think I can write is because I walk away from these projects thinking. Do you know, I, I mean, I've got a good sense of what, how a story should work, having been exposed to all of these different writers and how they work and, and how they, how, you know, I can tell, I mean, I can, I think in story blo- blocks, you know, I think in page terms, it's it's how I, you know, like w- way back when I used to do computer programming, you'd get so involved in a computer program that you would think in terms of computer programs. You would look at things and you'd start disassembling them in your head in ways of, how would you program that? How would that be a computer program? And it'd be things like, how would a tree be a computer program? So you'd start disassembling it in your head and think, well, this would be that, and this would be a procedural call, and that would be, you know, and you'd call this and blah, blah, blah. And and that's because you're so involved in that. And then you, you do so many comic strips with so many art, uh, so many writers that by the end of it, you think, oh, I know how to, you know, if I if I told you an anecdote, 
I could break that anecdote into page turns. I could I could break that anecdote down into where someone would talk to to another character. I know, for example, not to do two things at once. You know, I know a character wouldn't do he wouldn't you know wave at you and then open his car door with the same hand. He couldn't do that in a comic. You know, and I I know that intuitively because I've done so many comics, I've drawn so many comics, and I think a lot of new writers when they come in and start writing comics don't know that until they see someone draw their work. Yeah, you know they, that that that's a thing you only learn from having someone drawing your work. Only someone else coming in and going, you can't. That you've asked for like three different. You've asked for this guy to leap over a car, kick a football, and then and then you know pick up some litter. You, you know that's that's not that's too many things happening. That, that yeah. can't happen. So you you know so those are skills I've got. It's just a matter of putting them all together. But then you see Garth stuff, and it's so effortless, and it's so well written, and the dialogue and the character. I mean, there's nothing. Garth scripts are quite spartan um they tell you the bare minimum like the 57 page script i've got um is is 56 pages of of script oh wow you know there's there's not a single excess bit in there and yet and yet every line that a character says feeds your you information about the character and you know what that character looks like and is going to be like yeah. And everything, you know, all the dialogue, you, you, you know, I can see it in my head as soon as I read it. And you kind of go, all right, this is this is a really good writer. Whereas I'm writing a script and going, right, Mr. Artist, here's everything you will need to know about everything in your world. <laughs> and then, you know, it's 93 pages later. It's like going, Have I, oh, God, I know that's maybe yeah. too much. You turn turning into <laughs> Alan Moore then at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're kind of going, uh, which is OK if you're Alan Moore, but not not if you're not. <laughs> I don't even um, know if it's OK if you're Alan Moore anymore, as either, <laughs> to be honest with you. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Not the cost of postage. Everything typed like a big typer. <laughs> clunk, 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 clunk. Um, so well, there we go. Um, I love. I could talk to you for another hour at least, and I know you could talk to me for another hour. At <laughs> what, least. what do you mean there, Aaron? Is uh, you could ask me a question, then you could listen to me rabbit on for another hour. You're the which easiest. Is enough as, you're the easiest person to interview in the world. I think I've asked you about three <laughs> questions in total for the last hour. Um, but I, well, I, I have yes. one more question to ask you, um, and I okay. ask it to everybody when I interview them: is what okay. what song do you want to play out on? Oh, on on the on, on the, the podcast. Uh, on the podcast. Yeah, so you'll oh, be. That's, you'll, a, that's a tough question. You'll be played out I, by some music. Right. Okay. My initial thought is is a song, and you will go. That it. That's a weird choice, okay. and you and 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 you you'll you'll go. That's a weird choice, and you'll think, why 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 would and and you might think it's because I only just recently heard it again on the radio. Or, or something else, but my my Alexa's gone ballistic there. Uh, you might think uh, this is just a bizarre choice. I think I think what people don't realize about right everyone is there's there's a depth to everyone. Okay. So there's a surface thing, and then there's a depth to them. And I think um, when they ask them when when they when it comes to certain choices, they think that's really that's really weird because they don't really understand the depth of that person. Right. Right. This is all by way of me apologizing for what I'm going to ask you. <laughs> right? Uh, it is, I find out later, I'm looking it up so I can give you the exact name here. Perfect. Um, uh, because otherwise I'll, I'll remember the exact name of it. And then um, I really love this song, right? And I really love it. I heard I can, it in the radio. I can hear and I was how singing. embarrassed you are. This is wonderful. <laughs> I, I heard it in the radio and I thought, oh, yeah, this song's great. I really love this song. It's, it kind of. It speaks to a deep sadness within my soul that that you know wow. that is never is never sort of um, obviously on display, but I feel it deeply. 
you know, a deep, a deep, 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 way, way, so deep. In fact, it may not even exist. I just, I like to think there's a deepness to my soul. So, so it's Kylie but, Minogue but this, spinning around. This, but, but this is not right. So when I when I find this song, when I heard this song, and I was singing away to it, and then my son found out what it was from, I have had relentlessly the piss taken out of me. <laughs> so, so the song is right. A thousand years, which is the theme tune to Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> love it, absolutely love it, and it's a beautiful song. <laughs> I make no apologies to hey, for no, that. It's uh, do we do who sings this? It's it's sung by um uh oh god is it Christina Perry is the name I see oh, here on my that's, I do one. I do remember yeah I remember that it's song not, now. it's a lovely song it is it's a nice song I remember hearing it it's nice it's a lovely song I like those songs I love songs that kind of have this deep unspoken unrequited love thing going on that kind of a real you know like the songs that kind of um suggest that that you know there's a, a longing that's been happening for forever Right. And and that will never be met. I, I love songs like that, which is belied by my goofy outward uh, exterior <laughs> grin and uh, idiotic uh, chat every time I talk to someone. Uh, but that that's the things. Those are the things that do it for me. I'm sorry. I like it. No, it's perfect. This is this is a great way to end it. So uh, yeah, we're, you you people. The listeners will be hearing this in the background slowly fading. I am so sorry. I genuinely thought when I first heard it, this song was like 20 years old. And and I had I'd never heard it before. And my son found out it was the theme tune to Twilight. He goes, Ah, Daddy loves Twilight. And I've never seen it. I've never seen the film. Never seen it. He says, But you love Twilight because you love the song. I went, No. And then his voice broke at some stage. He says, Daddy loves Twilight. And I can, you know. Like, yeah, anyway. don't worry. He'll be getting into enough stupid things soon that you can make fun of him for <laughs> oh, so yeah. it's fine. Yeah, I hope so. Anyway, Aaron, it's been lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's been, it's been wonderful chatting to you. <laughs> You're welcome. Anytime. Anytime. I love to talk. <laughs>